Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. How are all of you doing this week, listeners? I had a doozy of a 17-hour workday yesterday, and I'm just happy to finally be here with you. Thanks to a shout-out on the incredible podcast, Haunted Places, I noticed I've picked up some new listeners. Welcome. I hope you like it and will stick around with our fun little community. I have plenty of new Patreon subscribers to thank at the end of the show, but while I have you here, I wanted to let you know that I have a new Guided Nightmare episode available only for Patreon patrons. For as little as a dollar, you have access to extra episodes and any upcoming Guided Nightmares I have in store. First up this week, I have another story from Cameron Gorman. You probably remember Cameron's name from episode 6, Static. Static was my first ever user-submitted story episode, back when the episodes were only 20 minutes long and there were only a handful of you listening to the show. Oh, how we've grown in so many ways in less than a year. I'm happy to have you back, Cameron, with this untitled tale of madness. All the rooms in my house smelled like pine and birch. And all the floors were light-colored, eco-friendly wood, sourced from sustainably planted farms. The whole gamut. You know I know that. I was very careful when I picked those out. I asked the sales clerk where it had come from and if it was real wood and if the stain made it non-biodegradable. Whenever you came over, all the fruit in the fruit basket was kind of spotty and a little bit softer than it should have been. And when you bit into the apples, they were a little more mealy than ripe and crisp and fresh from the farmer's market down the road. You know, the one with the nice family who sat outside, the ones who made their own shirts with the hand-stamped flowers all over the sleeves brown paper towels, flecked with pulp pits, cost more than the plain white ones at the dollar store, but it was all for a purpose. Sometimes, people would shake their heads when I told them how much things cost, but I always knew you understood why I did it. I was just caring about Mother Earth, about Mother Nature, the life giver, and I should have. I don't regret recycling all my plastic bottles and food lids or buying the $15 glass water bottle that I got myself that one time that you took me to a very nice store that sold very nice workout gear and bamboo fiber yoga mats, even though it leaked a little after I dropped it in the sink. Those things fed the land and watered the ground and made everything greener, I told myself. Those things saved the bees and made the stray cats smile when they walked on the land outside my apartment that wasn't littered with nails and fasteners or old cans of PBR like my neighbors were. It wasn't a show either. I really did care. Okay, well, maybe a tiny bit of a show, but not for anyone else's benefit. I like to know I was doing something about the state of things because... I really did love nature. I loved it, 
didn't I? You of all people would remember. You kept buying me those hemp bracelets to layer and stack on top of each other. Green and straw-colored and yellow. Like a sun-bleached rainbow on my thin arms. I thought about letting my hair go unwashed for a while, but that was a bit too much, even for me. I was searching, looking for something to ingrain myself into, like a confused freshman wandering the stands at a high school club fair. I was trying to become part of something bigger, you know? Do my part to erase the carbon footprint they all told me I was leaving behind. I loved koala bears and tiger cubs and the videos on the internet where people tickled those little lemur type things and they spread their arms out all cute. The normal things most people attribute to a love of animals. But I knew it was different for me. I also loved the way water looked when I visited Yosemite that year, back when we were still together. Back in Yosemite when... The water was falling perfectly over the rocks and breaking apart like smatterings of jewels from a smashed necklace. I loved the way the sky looked when I laid down on a slope or a hill and stared at it, starry-eyed, and the way that unmowed grass grew those little seed pods on the top like wild wheat. When people asked me if I was an indoors person or an outdoors one, I never hesitated to say the latter. Indoors. Boring, isn't it? The landscape doesn't change. Can't change. The grass of the carpet is always the same length or shade of beige. And the sky looks like popcorn or spaghetti strands, depending on what year it was plastered up. The plains and savannas stretch out on each side, flat and off-white or cream, and the water doesn't burble over stones and crevices. Instead, it falls flat and pillar-like from the metal head of the faucet. The cliffs are made of plastic or metal, upholstered with ugly, outdated fabrics, and the sun beats down cold and fluorescent. I think we both agreed what I was doing then was necessary. In fact, you told me it was. You hugged me and wished me well, and I decided right then and there it was a good idea. I bought myself a tent and inserts for my shoes to walk on gravel. But the harder I tried to lose myself in the woods behind my house, the more I found myself ending up at intersecting roads and people's backyards with sculpted bushes and flagstone paths. It wasn't enough. I remember complaining to you about it, actually. It was all so plain and suburban, I said. So expected and manicured. Not for me. I had to get out. So that summer, when it was particularly hot and the sun was pulling the flowers out of the soil with such force, I was afraid they might bend. I left. We both loved it outside, at night, in the chill of winter or the muggy heat of summer. We both did. I was packing sturdy boots I bought just for the occasion and my leaky water bottle. 
and a pad of notebook paper and pens. Bandana for my hair, binoculars for the birds, a backpack with a metal brace for my tent. I was prepared, and I was heading into beauty, into majesty, into love, away from the cold bricks and hard lines of the industry and the bureaucracy and the hate. I quit my job, even though it left a pit of fear in my stomach. Nothing could be left to tie me back to where I'd been. You supported me, and I was more than happy. I was elated. I was floating on the way to the store to buy trail mix and dry soap bars to rub on myself in between outpost stops. People grinned at me when I told them where I was going. The shadow of admiration creeping slowly over their features, unconsciously palming their wallets and purses when I told them how long I would be off the grid to walk this whole thing, this long, long trail. Why do it? I was going into some kind of meaning, I guess, and I was walking into some kind of mission and looking back, it was. It was a mission to shed every button-up blouse I'd ever worn into a conference room, every pair of heels that sat at the bottom of my closet, every long night when I didn't have time to get more than a burger from the fast food joint down the street from my apartment. I meant more than that. I was more than that. Of course, at the beginning, it was beautiful. The leaves that were raining down on me were orange and gold, like flakes from an illuminated text, and the ground was gritty and crunched underneath my boots. Sleeping was like melting. I swear, melting into the night. When I put my head outside of the tent flap, I could see every single star, like pinpricks in a dark cloth, far away from the orangey light pollution of the city. If I could only describe the feeling of that clean air, the weight of it, when I breathed in and the smell of sweet decay that permeated the atmosphere, sliding sidelong into the breeze, if I could explain it, I think you wouldn't be as sad about what happened. Because what happened was, well, what happened was that things started to get harder than I thought they would be. The gold of the leaves wasn't enough to outweigh the heaviness I felt in my limbs when I hiked too long or too far away from the path to follow the whims that sometimes whirled into my consciousness like a religious divination. The water was getting lower and the iodine pills were getting less and less in their package. Maybe I should have bought more. I'm not sure it would have mattered. My boots were starting to chafe against my feet. And the cold was penetrating past the thinness of the tent fabric and the cotton of my sleeping bag. It was easy, at least for a while, to convince myself that I was 
being silly or irrational, or that I had only to shed the soft living couch surfing of my past self. But that was before it got cold. You see, the weather was turning faster and faster than I thought it could. I guess I mapped the time out wrong or chose the wrong trail. Too close to the lake effect snow that always drifted in this time of year. It was beautiful at first. The icicles hung off things like diamond pendants. The ice flows carried on down the streams were like patches of etched glass. God, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. What I came out here for. But my coat felt thinner, and at night, when the moon was out, despite myself, I I started to dream about the confines of my old bedroom. I felt thinner, too, and yeah, I probably was. The ground felt harder. It was getting harder to fall asleep. And I could feel my ribs through my shirt. I don't think I smelled very good, but then again, it was just me out there. No one else. Just me and the increasingly light pack on my back and the little catches of panic that sometimes hammered at the back of my ribs. But I'll tell you something else. It was beautiful. My bones were poking into the ground and the pain made the stars shine brighter. And the damp smell of the woods stronger and stronger. And I could even smell the deer and the raccoons and the animals and their testing yellow paths through the snowbanks. My feet bled inside my shoes and I could see every spike and turret in the patch of moss I heaved into. Clarity. Sharpness. Like someone had turned the volume up on every sense. That's when I think I realized the wood flooring in my house, the potted plants that covered my windowsill, hell, even the cat we bought for my birthday last year. That was all just a shade of the real thing. Like plastic play food before devouring a burger. It was nothing. Nothing. Spilling the contents of my empty stomach onto the dirt of the silent trail. Wretched and acidic. I could finally see that walking through the woods with my hand on my cell phone and my feet in $100 shoes like I was daydreaming, and this was waking up, like poking your head above water and seeing everything clearly, when before it it had all been blurry shapes and colors. The pain was heated, and it was waking me up. It was beautiful. (laughs) With every day that 
I passed and every last granola bar that I ate with a shaking hand. And now I'm lying here. And I can feel the cold coming in past my jacket. In through the wet patch, the last of my body heat melted into water on my back. I was thirsty. But now I'm not. And I'm not cold because I can't feel my legs. I left the tent. I left the hiking shoes and the expensive bottle. It's, It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. It's more than I am. It's more than you or me or anything or the cat. And it's... It's taking me now, and it'll take you too. It's so much more than a quiet walk in the woods. I wasn't wrong. I do love it all. The animals, the feeling of grass or snow under my matted hair. I was right to love it. But I... I underestimated the love. It's consuming. All consuming. And it's eating me up. It's not just a walk in the woods after all. It'll take the gray office buildings and the sustainable housing and the carefully planned hiking trails. It's beautiful and it's falling water and its delicate snow and its lilting breezes and falling leaves. But as I'm going out by its hand, I'm seeing it truly. For the first time, I think it's gnashing and biting and kicking and spitting, eviscerating and pummeling, destroying and choking me. And God, I know you of all people will understand. How could you be sad for me when it's finally so, so beautiful? be enough. <coughs> Today is January 9th, 2000. Who's going to care? My name is Parker Harden and I want this video <coughs> to be my final goodbye. I know this message will probably never get to you guys, but through it, I kind of wish to try and make my peace as I plead for your forgiveness. Mom? Dad? (coughs) I've always tried to be the best daughter for you. Live my life 
as an honest and decent person. But with the world outside coming to an end, I don't see myself coming home any day soon. And a day is something I don't think I have left. Today marks the sixth day since I barricaded myself here inside this mom-and-pop insect extermination store. Thanks to the chemicals, those demonic spiders, sons of bitches, are too chicken shit to come inside. Sorry, I didn't mean to curse. It's just... I'm sorry. <coughs> As you can tell, the fumes are starting to get to me, but if <coughs> if I die, at, le <coughs> at least... At least I'll get to die on my terms. Because of those pieces of dirt, I've had to live with the nightmares of what was done. What I did to my friends. Family. Things I did to my best friend. Callie. She's gone now, swept away by the earthquake that broke the camel's back. Just days after the quake hit the fault line, an aftershock opened a massive sinkhole, sending San Jose and most of Central California plunging two miles underground. Part of me thinks she's out there, somewhere, it's hard to imagine anyone could survive that. Wait. I survived, so maybe, maybe I'll get a chance to repay her for saving me that day at all. Hold on, I have to check that. That was close. For a second, I thought that they finally found me. It's been a few days since I've seen the demented. The name I gave them. I can only assume, but the minor 3.7 earthquake that hit San Jose just days after Christmas must have set free something beyond evil from down there. I don't know much of the science behind it, really. But if you get bit by one of these spiders, you become... deranged. Demented. The only color you see is red. The only thing you desire is internal peace through violence. To think I would still be one of them too if it hadn't been for Callie. I just wish I knew how she saved me. But that's a story for another time. Time. Sorry.
he's at 47%. Where would I even begin? Maybe I should just start there. During the forgotten days, between Christmas and New Year's, Callie was having trouble getting over her breakup. So that Friday night, I thought I'd surprise her with an impromptu girls' night in. I brought the essentials, popcorn, goobers, Rocky Road ice cream, and a six-pack of beer. We didn't drink beer, but I figured the cute nurse guy next door probably did. Even though her heart was broken, it didn't stop Callie from celebrating the holidays. Colorful, blinking lights danced around an eight-foot spruce tree, illuminating the house with joy. <clears throat> her home, decorated with a unique blend of classic Christmas, wonderland, and everything, a night before Christmas. I placed the beer inside the fridge and went with a bottle of Chardonnay instead. Callie knew I was only trying to help. She played along and kept her smile as wide as she could fake it. We talked as the corn popped. Together we sat on the couch. Coffee table set for a party of two. Moments from selecting our movie. We heard the faintest sound. We paused everything. There it was again. Quickly, Callie and I jumped to action. The kitten cries came from inside Callie's bedroom. Callie, being a creative sci-fi makeup artist, sculptures, posters, and creature props that would make Tim Burton proud filled her walls. Her place was incredible. All except her bedroom. You see, a few months ago, Callie wanted to remodel her bedroom. The only thing was that the person doing the remodeling was her ex-boyfriend. So after the breakup, her bedroom stayed a hot mess. Anyway, we could hear the cries of a baby kitten coming from inside the bedroom drywall. I softly knocked. Behind the drywall, a kitten needed help, and Callie, without question, took a five-pound free weight and smashed through the wall. Pieces of the wall crumbled everywhere. Behind the rubble, the meows came from inside a dark water pipe. Together, we pulled the water pipe with everything we had. The pipe broke free. A small metal piece hit the floor, and the meowing stopped. The dark pipe was out, but no sign of the kitten. With our phones, flashlight, we searched nothing. No meows, no kitten. Confused, I suggested maybe we loosened the kitten free, and now it's somewhere safe, or so I thought. Not willing to accept a maybe, Callie went down to do a thorough search of the basement. <laughs> you guys know I don't 
do basements. So I made my way back to the couch and scrolled through the endless list of movies on Netflix. Across the wall, a bright light shined beside the 60-inch plasma. Through the beam of light, I thought I saw a shadow, the image of a massive spider raising its arms behind me. Goober box in hand, I turned around in panic. Chocolate-covered peanuts, my only defense. Nothing was there. Through the large front window, backing into his driveway, I could see the headlights of a neighbor's car beaming from across the street. After that small fright, to calm my heavy nerves, I took a much-needed ten-second sip of wine. I continued my search for the perfect movie. Scrolling through the endless selection, I winced. Ouch! I felt a small pinch behind my right elbow. A numb tingle followed. I checked my arm, not a trace of what it was that bit me. I know now. That night I was bitten by a spider king. It's still a working title. I figured a shiny black rock-shaped spider demon thing from hell seemed too long. That night, I thought, I simply pinched a nerve. I shook out my arm to get the blood flowing again. Moments later, a drowsy wave came over me. Within seconds, I felt so sleepy. I tried shaking the feeling off, but that only made it worse. My hand opened. The wine glass hit the floor. I fainted face first on a fluffy oogie boogie couch pillow. Lights out. Night, night. In a coma-like state, I could hear myself breathing. Each breath grew deeper and deeper, harder and harder, my stomach twisting into knots. With each breath, the knots got tighter and tighter. With each heartbeat, my blood boiled hotter and hotter. I could feel my mind being ripped to shreds and smashed together all at once. What is happening to me, I thought. I could feel myself detaching further away from my own body. My body itself was becoming a vessel for what I can only describe as pure darkness. In the somber distance, I could hear the echoes of Callie's voice. The sound of her voice should have brought hope. Instead, her voice felt like daggers digging deeper into my head. It wouldn't stop. Each word she spoke, each syllable, felt like murderous torture. It wouldn't stop. I'm sorry, Mom. Dad. The events that followed next will seem unforgivable, but I beg you. 
please listen and find a way to forgive me. If I close my eyes, I can still relive every second. Motionless in that coma-like state, my eyes opened. My vision had been altered. Through many shades between black and white, the gray image of a handsome man came into focus. Milo, the cute nurse guy from next door. I was hit with the strong white light of a medical pen. I could hear him check my vitals. She seems fine. I think she's just sleeping. His voice sliced at me like paper cuts. Callie's echoes. Why does she feel so cold? I'll get her some blankets. The sounds of their words. Daggers wrapped in paper cuts. Milo pinched my eye open once again. Blinded by the pen light, I could feel this urge coming over me. I internally pleaded, Please, don't. Trapped inside my own body, I lunged at Milo's throat, grasping my fingers tight around his Adam's apple. Tighter and tighter, I squeezed. Milo, fighting for air, grabbed hold of my arm, pushing him away with a force not my own. I ripped his throat completely out. His lifeless body dropped, drenched in blood. I found myself marveling at Milo's flesh as his thick blood dripped off my fingertips. Sadness, fear, anger, gone. With my emotions subdued, all I could think was, what have I done? With the sinister venom pumping through my veins, a strong tingle shot up my spine. I could feel the darkness collide with my brainstem. An explosion of ecstasy came over me, a sensation that sent me crashing back into a deep slumber, fading, trapped inside the cocoon of my own mind. Who I am could see the monster I would soon become. Fading like quicksand. The harder I fought, the deeper I sank. Deeper I faded into the lightlessness. Hours later, I could hear the echoes as two men argued. Let's get out of here, man. No. Callie left us here because my girl needs me. My God, 
The sound of them arguing poked at me like an ice pick to a caged tiger. Pick, pick, pick. My eyes opened. My vision dramatically altered. Through the same shades of gray, I could now distinguish the color red. Around the two men, they both illuminate a reddish glow. Their glows brightened as they let anxiety set in. Oh no. It was TJ. My boyfriend of two years. What was he doing here? Callie must have called him, and of course, he would have brought his best friend Yando. Standing over Milo's dead body, they argued over being left to babysit a crime scene. What happened next? I alone will never forgive myself. I can still remember the look on TJ's face as I stood in the living room, foaming at the mouth. I could feel this dark urge growing stronger. <laughs> Imagine the highest level of irritation you've ever felt. Times that by a hundred, then mix that in a pot of boiling rage and fury. This was the lightless. I screamed for TJ to run. But the lightless didn't care. In a blink of an eye, I lifted TJ off the ground, spearing him through the glass of the coffee table. Yando tried to stop me. I took the long stem of my broken wine glass and impaled it into his temple. Yando immediately dropped to his knees. As I stared into his eyes, I could see the flicker of light blow out. Faced down, he lands at my feet. Peering up towards the coffee table, I couldn't help but watch as TJ fought to breathe. Choking on his own blood as he tried to speak. I crouched down to his level, admiring his agony. My mouth salivated with foam, <laughs> wetting my lips. I went in for one final kiss. <sighs> in that moment, grabbing a stronghold, my hands rammed his head back, snapping his neck against the metal framing of the broken coffee table.
outside the sound of Callie's keys jingle at the front door with great agility. My body makes its way to the top of the refrigerator. Seated in a deep squat position, it lay in wait. Entering the kitchen, Callie placed a bag of cleaning supplies on the table, calling out to TJ and Yando. Silence filled the room. Salivating uncontrollably, my body was still as a statue. Freaked out by the sight of the living room carnage, Callie pulled out her cell phone. A loose drop of foamy spit fell from my lips. Falling, the drop hit the floor. The only sound in the room grabbed Callie's attention, leading her back to the kitchen. Glancing up, she spotted me. No, she spotted it. Trapped inside, I could feel everything the lightless had in store for Callie. I could do nothing to stop it. Leaping off the fridge, it lunged towards her. Instinctively, Callie dove out of the way. She dropped her phone. Reaching back for it, the lightless threw a toaster at her. Petrified, Callie slid underneath the kitchen table. Playing a game of hunter versus prey, the lightless circled around the table before flipping over entirely, screaming at the top of her lungs. Callie made a break for the bathroom. Turning, the lightless looked around for another weapon. Off the ground, it picked up a reindeer statue. In its hands, the sharp antler tips shined in the blinking gray and red lights of the Christmas tree. Making its way to the bathroom door, the lightless checked the doorknob. Locked. Using the deer statue, it gently knocked. Terrified, Callie asked, Why was I doing this? I had no answer. Crouched in the corner of my own mind, I could feel the daggers as she screamed out my name. On the bathroom door, knocking turned to pounding. Frustrated, the lightless started banging its forehead on the door, drawing blood. Then it stopped. Callie's cries grew quiet. Entering Callie's bedroom, using the deer statue, the lightless began tearing away at the drywall from before, pulling at the remaining water pipes. Punctured water hit its face, the lightless cowering away. The water pressure subsided, ripping the ironing board from off the bedroom door, the lightless used it as a battering ram. It charged at the thin layer of the bathroom wall, 
leaving a huge hole. The lightless began squeezing itself inside. Horrified, Callie fell back through the clear shower curtain and into the bathtub. The lightless bulldozed its way through. Stuck in the tub, Callie used the shower curtain to shield herself. The lightless slashed its way through the thick plastic. Accidentally, Callie kicked the water nozzle, sending cold water shooting out from the shower head. The water hit its arm. The lightless circled around frantically, tearing away at its wet arm sleeve. The lightless shattered the bathroom mirror, spreading glass all over the floor. Coming to an awkward calm, it turned around looking for Callie. She was gone. I prayed she got away, but the lightless could see the glowing red trail of blood left by an injured Callie. Through the bathroom door, the trail did not lead far. Callie, limping hard, was bleeding from her leg, a large piece of glass sticking out. The lightless was in no hurry. It slowly walked towards her, Using the Christmas tree to hold herself up, Callie saw it was closing in. She pulled the tree down to buy herself some time. Approaching the tree, the lightless power lifted the eight-foot tree up over its head. Falling over, she stumbled to get away. The lightless lunged the tree at Callie. The light cord still plugged in, prevented the tree from flying far. Instead, the tree slung itself back at the lightless, knocking it to the ground. As Callie made her way towards the front door for the first time, I felt a sliver of hope that she would make it out alive. Only thing was, she had to get through a broken kitchen table to escape. Enraged at the Christmas tree, the lightless beat the living hell out of every branch, snapping them to pieces. The gray and red Christmas bulbs flickered from the pain. At the door, Callie saw her cell phone. Reaching for it, she was hit in the head by a silver gift wrapped by a red ribbon. The large bow bounced off Callie's head. Stunned, she reached for it again. This time, the lightless began throwing glass ornaments like snowballs. They popped at each impact. Finding cover, Callie barricaded herself inside the wardrobe closet. With a chilling calm, the lightless stood in front of another locked door. From inside the closet, Callie's screams no longer brought pain, but instead, her pleading for her life kept my body's blood boiling. Callie's cries grew weaker and weaker. 
I could sense the pain she was enduring as she pulled the large piece of glass from her leg. Her pain was my peace. The peace was short-lived. It continued pounding away at the door. The door itself was hollow and didn't put much of a fight. One, two, three forward thrust kicks and it was left hanging by a hinge. Grabbing a hold of the loose door, the lightless began pulling it down. Unable to remove the door, Callie took her moment and exploded through it, sending the lightless crashing hard into a side table filled with Callie's Nightmare Before Christmas snow globe collection. Upset, the lightless swiped the decorative side table clean, knocking the snow globes all across the floor. Callie finally made it to her cell phone. Not given any time to think of who to call, she was blindsided as a Jack Skellington nutcracker hit her in the back. <coughs> Callie went down hard, tripping over the obliterated Christmas tree. The lightless pounced on top of her. The thick bark of spruces, all that stood between Callie and sheer death, the lightless thrashed and clawed in all directions, determined to get its hands on Callie. I could see she wanted to reach for the silver treetop star, just fingertips from her grasp. Blow after blow, she absorbed more and more punishment. I couldn't take it anymore. I began doing some screaming of my own. I yelled into the lightlessness to stop. The mental trauma it caused me was indescribable. The lightless began tearing at its own head, ripping out its... my... hair. But it was worth it. It gave Callie just that extra second to grab that silver star and plunge it into its exposed ribcage. A shockwave of pain was sent shooting up its spine. I can remember the eerie, raptured fervor that came over it. Punctured ribs and all. The lightless enjoyed the agony it was under. It looked down at the silver star protruding from its side. Pulling it out, two inches of blood colored the star's tip. Saliva dripping uncontrollably, it bent itself over, getting inches from Callie's bruised and battered face. Recognizing a worthy adversary, the lightless saw Callie as more than just prey. They locked eyes. Only this time, Callie saw me. She knew she knew I was still inside. She knew this was not of my doing. Then, as the lightless raised its mangled hand for one final blow, out of nowhere, Callie fractured a snow globe on the side of its head.
the snowy liquid inside sent it screeching in irritation. Its pain was my pain. Kicking the lightless off, Callie sent it flying to the ground, screeching. It flailed around, trying to rip away each and every drop of liquid. Tipping over, Callie stumbled back to her feet with whatever ounce of energy she had left. Callie used the couch for support. The lightless rose to its feet, blood boiling at a thousand degrees. It stood up, facing nothing, breathing as heavy as my lungs could handle. Enraged, the lightless bolted towards her. Callie's red glow was at an all-time high. Stumbling forward, she planted her boot on the ground. The heel of her boot made a crunch sound. I don't know what happened next. It was like the venomous darkness spiking my adrenaline suddenly dropped to zero. My lights went out. Both the lightless and I collapsed to the ground. (coughs) I can't remember what happened after that. But you see, Mom, Dad, please forgive me. I wasn't in control. Yet, I can't help but feel responsible. I was trapped. I was a trapped accomplice in the murders of all those people. Milo, Yando, <coughs> and my poor TJ. Oh my God. CJ, please forgive me. Being bit, it was like... <coughs> For the spider from a spider king possesses you with something so evil. Holy shit. An evil. An evil that was stepped on. The crunching noise. It was a spider king. Callie must have stepped on one. She must have stepped on the spider that bit me. Which must have freed me. It's evil spell. <coughs> no way. Is that all it took? Oh. Oh no. No. No, the Dementors. They found me. They found. They found me. They found me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I would love to give a huge and warm thank you to my incredible new Patreon supporters: Cody Bryan, Gore Kitten. 
Nicole Menacucci, Eliza Jameson, Heather Brown, Teresa, Robert Light, and Carrie Ann Doring. You're all angels, honestly. Thank you so much. Also, my merch is available in my Teespring store. I'll leave a link in the show notes if you would like a t-shirt or a mug. The mugs are really cute. I'm really excited to get one. Remember to follow the show on social media to keep up with any announcements. Twitter and Instagram at Scary to Sleep. You can interact with the community in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash scary to sleep. And I think that's all for tonight, folks. Thank you so much again for listening. Um, we have some more special stuff coming up soon, some more special bonus episodes that I'm really excited about. So look, be on the lookout for those. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.